It is time for us to begin our midday program here on a Friday morning. Scott Foster here with you as we get things underway in a cool and cloudy sort of day. Man, uh, Jason, we were talking about some of the storms that were to the east of us. There were some big ones. You were showing me some pictures of hail and Hastings. That's piled up like it's a snowdrift. It is. It was crazy. I didn't. I didn't realize it didn't send me seven inches of rain in the Ravenna area. So it really was something. Well, we're going to get together here for our midday program to talk about the stuff we've got going on. Now, I know we have a crew at the Nebraska State Fair. I believe um, I'm not hearing them right now, but that doesn't mean they're not there. Are you guys there right now? Hello. I guess not. That's a uh, live radio right there, folks. It is. Yeah, well, that's the way it goes. So that's let's what's called a technical difficulty. Technical difficulties. We don't have those very often, but every once in a while. So Jason's here, though, and uh, you said the uh, Big Ten basketball schedule is out. Yeah, it just came out, and uh, Nebraska's first Big Ten game under new head coach Fred Hoiberg will be on December 13th at Indiana. Mm. And then two days later, the Huskers will host Elite Eight qualifier Purdue. Well, so that's how it works out for the Huskers. Once again, the Big Ten will go with a 20-game conference schedule, which seems like a lot to me, but it does kind of cut down on the programs scheduling these games against directional schools. Right. So you, you might as well play one another. Northwest, Southeast, <laughs> Idaho. Yeah, that but, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, this is how it works. Uh, you'll play seven teams both home and away, and then six teams once, three home and three away games. So that's looking for Big Ten basketball. Also, we'll hear from a head football coach for the Lopers, Josh Lynn. UNK has a big scrimmage scheduled for tomorrow night. That is their second scrimmage so far of fall camp. And uh, we have some high school softball this afternoon. Yours truly. Yeah. We got the call on Camping Country Legends is Lexington host Scott's Bluff. Well, it, it, well we can hear them. It should be. Wait a minute. I, before I get started on that, I think we got somebody. Bryce, can you hear me now? It's Susan. It's we Susan. Went- Hi, Susan. Hello, we went to plan B. Okay. You know, Excellent. we do what we can. So, yes, it's Bryce and I here. Do you want to know what we're up to today? I would love it very much. Go ahead, tell me. All right. It's, of course, the first day of the Nebraska State Fair coming up at 1213. We're going to hear from Bill Angel as he talks about the happenings as day one and shows are already underway. Clay Patton is fresh off the phone with a man himself, Al Dutchers. We'll check in with him coming up at 1219, see what's happening with weather. And according to Shaley Peters, the roundtable discussion with Senator Fisher is getting quite interesting with producers. She'll give us the update at 1245. And then finally check in with Chabella Guzman with Fridays in the Field. So that's the update from us here at the Nebraska State Fair. Well, first of all, let me just say nice rhythm, both of you. You were able to uh, work that out really well. Like, so. like kid and play back in the day. Hey, it's, it's the ag version of sports play-by-play. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Tell Bryce you did a great job on the color analyst there. So, thanks. I will. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, guys. Oh, goodness. Yes, we do have softball tonight. Lexington, uh, Scott's Bluff. Good things underway. So that'll be Fall sports. It is here. Here we come. Bob Rogan's in here. Bob, how are things going in stocks? Stocks are sinking as the China trade unrest flares, and uh, China says it's putting into place tariffs on $75 billion in U.S. products in retaliation for the Trump administration's latest planned tariff hikes. Elsewhere, sales of new homes tumbled. And uh, also, the uh, Nebraska's high court has rejected another attempt to derail the Keystone XL pipeline. We'll have details on that coming up. All right, that's all coming up on Midday. 
It is time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And I'm joined by Paul Perkins. And, and I just uh, I got a point of uh, personal privilege right now, uh, Paul. We, we <laughs> talked last week about this week going to be hot and dry. What happened? Uh, yeah, that's not the case. Uh, something that's not happened too much this summer, and it looks like that trend will continue here for a while because it is looking cooler and wetter over the next several days, and we got a good taste of rain. Unfortunately, for some areas that have been getting too much last night. Yeah, you were talking. We were talking about Ravenna and all of that yes. seven and a half inches of rain north of Ravenna. Yeah, wow. six miles northwest of Ravenna, seven and a half inches of rain last night. That's after they got four and a half inches of rain on Wednesday. So many roads are flooded to the north and northwest of Ravenna. At least that was the case earlier this morning. But also some other locations um, receiving a plethora of rain once again. But many areas. Uh, not getting in on yeah. much of the rain, but that could be changing with the system moving in for tonight. Active, active, active this year, hasn't it been? Exactly. Right now, flood advisory remains in south-central Nebraska for the following counties. Northwest Clay, northeast Adams, southwest Hamilton County, and southeast Hall County. That's until 9 tomorrow morning. Some excessive runoff from heavy rain is causing some flooding of small creeks and streams. Also, county roads, farmland, and other low-lying spots. Some Roads are closed due to high water. Three to nearly eight inches of rain fell in, in these locations overnight, especially near the Hastings, Donovan, Junietta, Alda, Trumbull, Inland, and Hanson area. Once again, those uh, heavy rains falling northwest of Ravana, six miles north of town, were seven and a half inches of rain. Also, we do have a small stream flood advisory for poor drainage in West Central Mary County and Southeast Howard County, and that's until 6 this evening. Some county roads impossible in these locations right around Palmer, St. Labore, and Archer. Some rain is on the way for tonight. We do have some rain moving through southeast Nebraska in between Exeter and Crete in southeast Nebraska just to the southwest of Lincoln. Also some fairly significant showers and thunderstorms over north-central Kansas from about Moreland, Kansas area through Hill City down to Palco and Plainville. And those are gradually moving off towards the east and southeast. Temperatures right now in the low to mid-70s. A flash flood watch is in effect this evening through tomorrow morning for west central and southwest Nebraska. Also northwest Kansas and northeast Colorado. Or if you're along and west of a line from Broken Bow to Lexington, Cambridge, Norton, and Leota. This has moved a little bit further to the east. So Lexington and Cambridge now in this watch. And also, of course, uh, southwest Nebraska now included in northwest Kansas and northeast Colorado. West central Nebraska already in that flash flood watch earlier this morning. But once again, if you're along and west of a line from Broken Bow to Lexington, Cambridge, Norton, and Leota, Flash flood watch this evening through tomorrow morning. Thunderstorms capable of producing 1 to 2 inch rainfalls in an hour or less are expected. Rainfall totals of 1 to 3 inches are likely in many areas with locally higher amounts near 5 inches. We're getting some easterly upslope winds today going up against the front to our west. That's keeping our skies mostly cloudy and will be the case all the way through tomorrow. Temperatures slightly cooler than usual. Low pressure over the Rockies will slowly push to the east with another chance of thunderstorms late today and tonight. Some of those storms could be severe, mainly though in western areas on the severe activity. A slight risk of severe storms from the Storm Prediction Center along and west of a line from Alliance to Ogallala, Imperial, Atwood, and Joaquini. Often on thunderstorms will continue into the weekend as that low slowly moves through the plains. Sunday will be our warmest day of the next seven days with seasonal highs in the 80s. More thunderstorms are possible with the cold front by Sunday night. In behind that front, those thunderstorm chances will be lower with temperatures that are about 5 to 10 degrees cooler than normal for much of next week. That cooler 
Those cooler temperatures do stick around for a while in our long-term forecast. Cooler than normal temperatures are likely for Wednesday through the first five days of September, especially the mid to late part of next week in Nebraska and Kansas. Above normal rainfall is likely for Nebraska and Kansas. Wednesday through the 5th of September, the better chances of rain in the earlier periods of the middle to late part of next week. Weather factors the market traders are considering include a very cool weather keeping the crop development slow and favorable crop weather in Russia during the weekend. Heat will re-intensify on the southern high plains. Cool air, though, will deepen its grip by early next week across the northern plains and upper Midwest. Thunderstorms will drift east from the plains and eventually reach the Midwest. The cool weather in the Midwest and the northern plains the next week to 10 days will keep crop development at a very slow pace relative to the normal pace. Later, the normal first freeze will be needed to allow crops to reach maturity. The Northern Plains spring wheat harvest already slowed due to the lateness of the crop. Harvest may slow even more during periods of rain over the next five days. The Black Sea region will be warmer and drier through the end of the month. The crops are in the filling to maturing stage now, with conditions generally favorable for maturing crops in the Black Sea. Soil moisture also adequate for early planted winter grains for them. Okay. All right. Well, it... uh it has been a year that we've seen a lot of different things, but uh, I tell you, the humidity that we've seen in, in central Nebraska, 81% humidity right now here in Lexington. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Temperatures right now low, mid-70s, and those dew points, yeah, they're up there into the upper 60s. So even though the temperatures are cool, that dew point's still up there close. So, yeah, giving us those high humidity readings. Mm. <laughs> a lot of moisture in the air, and that's what we've seen certainly with these storms. Uh-huh. So, all right. Well, thank you very much, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? KRVN.com. What can we expect from the most recent weather patterns as well? Look a little further out to the possible new 30-day weather pattern. That's all here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining the conversation, extension climatologist Al Dutcher. And Al, as always, we thank you for your insight every week. But these latest forecasts, looks like we have a cold front moving in the next 7 to 10 days. Yeah, we sure do. The first one's going to pull through the state over this next 24 to 48 hour period. Uh, there is a little discrepancy in the models in terms of speed and timing of, of the events. But the more significant feature of this is, is that as the system begins to eject out of the Rockies, it appears that the western half of the state is in line for the more significant precipitation. And in fact, there's some flood, flash flood watches posted for portions of western Nebraska in response to the system that is expected to move into the state as we go through this afternoon into this evening hour. So thunderstorm development is highly likely in the western part of the state. The problem we're going to have is how far eastward will that transfer over that 24-hour period. And the models kind of want to pull it into central Nebraska, but from there it really hits a drier atmosphere in the eastern part of the state and loses some of its punch. Then we get in tomorrow afternoon, evening, and we see another piece of energy as as that front pulls through the state, trying to get precipitation generated essentially across Kansas and southern Nebraska and the secondary area of low pressure moving across the northern plains will have a concentration of precipitation around it across the Dakotas and Minnesota. So once again, Nebraska looks like it's gapped between these two areas, and this has been a persistent problem recently across eastern Nebraska where we haven't seen more significant moisture with these events, and we've had some pretty significant dryness issues in portions of northeast Nebraska the last 30 to 60 days. But more importantly, as the system pulls through, the warmest air will occur this weekend as that warm air from the ridge from the west in the southern plains tries to lift some of that air into Nebraska, but that low pressure system, the clouds may hold temperatures down. So it's a tricky temperature forecast. It's going to be cooler to the north, 
warmer to the south. If we break enough clouds, we will get into the 80s across southern Nebraska. If it stays cloudy, we'll be stuck in the upper 70s to low 80s. But more importantly, as this trough goes to the east of us, we intend to get a zonal flow-type pattern. So most of the big cold air is going to be bottled to our north and uh, possibly into the northern one-third of our state, more closer to normal temperatures deep southern Nebraska. Al, let's go now and look at that uh, 30-day forecast that will come out here in just about a week here as we get to the end of August, looking at September into early October. They're going to see CPC pull this cold air down, but I also think that you may see uh, the precipitation pattern be pulled farther southward also from the Dakotas and western Nebraska. This may be pulled down all the way down to the Texas Panhandle. And the simple reason is is that if we have this troughing pattern, we're still going to have some type of a ridge, and it's going to be subdued a little bit toward the southern plains. But that's going to allow that moisture to flow in around the periphery of the ridge like it has over this last 30 to 60 days. And it's really favored the Dakotas and Kansas. The logical thinking is as the jet stream starts to follow the seasonal trends and starts to dip farther and farther south, we're going to see these areas pull southward. So the heavier precip in Kansas most likely is going to get pulled south into Texas and Oklahoma, while the Dakotas precip is likely to sag southward into Nebraska. I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever for us to see a fairly wet September. Uh, conditions in the equatorial Pacific would favor at least some moisture advection into the western United States with that warm pocket that still exists. I don't think we'll be as wet as last fall, but conditions are eerily similar in the upper atmosphere, so the expectation is we'll probably deal with rounds of precipitation. Again, extension climatologist Al Dutcher joining us on the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at sports. Jason Jorgensen in here in studio with us as we come to a Friday and a eve of uh, fall sports. All kinds of things happen in UNK with scrimmages and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, we'll start off, however, with some hoops. Okay. The Big Ten has announced the men's basketball conference schedule. The conference season begins on September 6th and culminates with the 23rd annual Big Ten tournament at Bankers Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis in mid-March. For the second straight year, teams will compete in a 20-game conference schedule, playing seven teams both home and away, six teams once with three home games and three road games. So the Huskers will begin the Big Ten era of Fred Hoiberg action on December 13th. That's a Friday night at Indiana. Two days later on a Sunday, the Huskers will host Purdue. Well, UNK is just about at the halfway point of fall camp leading up to its season opener on September 5th at Missouri Southern. The Lopers go into this year predicted to finish just ninth in the MIAA standings, and head coach Josh Lynn says that low prediction is a sense of uh, good motivation. Obviously, that's not where we want to be, and uh, I don't think that's where we're at leading into the conference. However, we haven't done anything to prove that to this point, but... uh, um, you know, it's pretty good fuel for the fire. Lopers are set to hold a scrimmage. Their second full scrimmage of fall camp tomorrow night. That is open to the public. That will start at 6.30. Of course, the UNK volleyball team is on the road in Cheyenne to battle Wyoming in an exhibition match. That one begins tomorrow night at 7.30. We will have it for you on our sister station, 93.1 The River. Panthers general manager Marty Herney says Cam Newton has a midfoot sprain and they're cautiously optimistic the quarterback will be ready for the September 8th regular season opener against the Rams. Newton injured his left foot in Carolina's 10-3 preseason loss last night at New England. Newton was trying to avoid a sack in the first quarter when he got tripped up and landed on the turf. Now, he was already trying to fight back from that shoulder injury, and he's a big, strong guy, but 
Well, he's taking his shots over the years. Feet, feet are bad, and so attention fantasy football owners everywhere. <laughs> you might want to hold off on Cam Newton. Former Husker Des Moines, Pearson L. found the end zone for the Raiders last night against the Packers. He hauled in a touchdown catch late in the fourth quarter to help Oakland beat the Packers 22-21 in a game that was held in Winnipeg. Did you see what they did with the field? We, we were talking about that last night. Of course, the CFL fields are different. Uh-huh, wider and longer. Longer. Mm-hmm. They, they played last night's game on an 80-yard field. They did. Yeah. Eight-man football. You would think the NFL would be better than that. No kidding. Uh, Purcell, he's making a push to join the Raiders. He had six catches for 38 yards and that touchdown. And the Cubs have won five in a row. They are 44-19 at Wrigley Field this season, winning 16 out of the last 19 home games. The NL Central leaders try to keep it going when John Lester pitches in the opener of a three-game series against Washington. You know, with as much crying as I've seen on Twitter this year from Cub fans, you'd think there were 15 games below 500. You know, they got spoiled one year. Where, where were the lovable Cubs fans we used to know? <laughs> that was long before social media. That's, that's very true. <laughs> that's a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. All right, thanks, Jason. It is time for us to take a look now at uh, local news. See what's going on. Tyler Cavalli in studio with us, and so uh, we'll get the live scoop from him. Wait a minute. Can I turn your mic on just a second? Hang on. There we go. We've done this a few times, haven't we? Well, you would think. All right. Thank you, Scott. Well, police say an 11-year-old boy was killed while riding his bicycle in eastern Nebraska today. Blair police say the boy was struck by a truck this morning. His name has not been released, but police say he was a student at Blair Middle School in Blair. The accident is still under investigation. Northeast Community College is raising money to build new agriculture facilities on the college's North Fork campus. Officials said yesterday what will become the Agriculture and Water Center of Excellence will give students an opportunity to learn in the -the state-of-the-art facilities. The Ackley Charitable Foundation announced a $5 million lead gift for the $23 million project. Officials hope to begin construction in the spring of 2020. Well, school administrators have delayed distribution of a Nebraska high school yearbook in part because of a story that honors a journalism teacher for how she dealt with the death of her son only 96 minutes after his birth. The district tells the Lincoln Journal Star that photos of the baby accompanying the story in the Waverly High School yearbook violate a policy against memorializing students or staff who have died. A federal indictment alleges an associate professor at the University of Kansas was secretly working full-time for a Chinese university while doing research in Kansas on projects funded by the U.S. government. Fang Franklin Tao was charged this week with one count of wire fraud and three counts of program fraud. U.S. Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska, a member of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, says federal charges are appropriate. China's largest export is espionage. The Chinese Communist Party's University to Beijing pipeline is a serious, serious national security problem. And this is a no-brainer. You can't work for the Chinese government and for our government at the same time. The Justice Department is absolutely right to go after this illegal double-dipping. 
The 47-year-old Lawrence man has been employed since August of 2014 at the University Center for Environmental Beneficial Catalysis. The center researches sustainable technology to conserve natural resources and energy. The indictment alleges he fraudulently received more than $37,000 in salary funded by the Department of Energy and the National Science Foundation. Finally, authorities in Kansas say a 14-year-old was arrested after he pointed a gun at a group of girls outside of Wichita Elementary School. Reports say the boy was has been booked into juvenile intake on suspicion of aggravated battery, criminal possession of a firearm by a juvenile, and unlawful use of a weapon. However, no one was hurt. Wichita police say the team was among a group of five boys and six girls that got into an argument around 4 p.m. yesterday outside Woodman Elementary after leaving a nearby middle school. A school employee called police after witnessing the team pull out the gun and pointed at the girls during the dispute. The, goal, the school was temporarily locked down while police rushed to the school to apprehend the team. Hmm. That is your latest news. Okay, so I want to go back to Franklin for a moment. Uh, he worked for... <laughs> This wait, go back up just a minute. Mm-hmm. Center for Environmental Environmentally Beneficial Catalysis. That's that's a lot to put on a card, right there. It is, and it was interesting because if you remember last week, we we mentioned this story a couple of times, but the FBI was investigating mm-hmm. uh, Kansas University, the University of Kansas, because they're trying to figure out, and we didn't know what they were investigating. Well, now we know yeah, they had was a, a guy working for the Chinese government at Kansas by the name of Franklin. Fits in a little bit, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That is your latest news. For more, visit our website at krvn.com. Joining you now from the 2019 Nebraska State Fair, I'm Shaley Peters, and I've got Senator Fisher here with me, just coming out of a roundtable you guys held. Great conversation happening on the producer side, on um, the legislative side. I mean, all the way around, you had a great conversation going on there. Cover some of what went underway at this year's roundtable. I just think roundtables like this are really important. And it's important because we need to hear what's going on around the state. And I know I'm out traveling the state all the time. But to bring producers together with federal officials and state officials and to have that conversation back and forth, I think it gives all of us a broader perspective. You know, Nebraska's gone through a really rough year. We've seen a lot of weather disasters hit from the bomb cyclone to flooding. Uh, we had a tunnel co- collapse in, the, in Wyoming that affects our irrigators and the panhandle. So it's been really rough. And you throw in trade issues, uh, commodity prices, the small refinery exemptions that the EPA's given. Uh, that all is going to have a negative impact on producers here in the state. So if we can get more facts, more information, so that we can continue to work well with the state of Nebraska, with Governor Ricketts and his administration, we can take this information back to Congress and fight for it there as well to help Nebraskans out. The state really was well represented, especially considering the different disasters that have happened. You know, the western Nebraska tunnel collapse that's been very recent up in Cherry County, where you're from. Continued rain, rain overnight here um, in central Nebraska. Again, just all the way around. Was there anything that surprised you or anything um, that maybe perked your ears up a little bit in today's roundtable? Well, you know, a couple things. First, that um, this isn't over. We have a lot of work to do yet. There's a lot of challenges that we face as a state, and it's the reoccurring weather patterns that we're seeing. Uh, that 
that doesn't give you much time to try and fix what happened before when you're hit with something else again now. Uh, but I think what's really important was a comment that Brian Tuma made. And that was the, the effect that he saw all across the state of local people coming together to, to roll up their sleeves, to work together, whether it was first responders, uh, volunteer fire departments, the emergency management people, uh, they were helping their in their communities. That's what I see. That's what I saw beginning in March when I'm traveling to these communities to see not just ag producers, but people in town helping clean out basements that are being flooded. Um, to me, that was that just shows the strength of Nebraskans and the resilience that we have. He certainly did mention the force on the ground was it was very even if we don't see it it's there they're helping um, on the producer side of things anything that um, caught you there I know um, the tunnel collapse was very interesting to hear detailed information on that and then also again up in Cherry County they still don't have some of their roads open we don't have our roads open in Cherry County uh, 97 which runs uh, south of Valentine past Meriden to Mullen uh, that's underwater in places so that's uh, the whole length of Cherry County that uh, is closed off uh, there's part of Highway 83 that is uh, kind of dangerous at times with water over the road. Um, but that, you see that all across the state. County roads especially are, are really hit. There's going to be a, a high cost to be able to um, build those roads back up again and then try to maintain them. My final question here, looking out into the future, this roundtable was great. It's great for you guys to hear you were joined by Governor Ricketts and Congressman Adrian Smith. So it sounds like time, money are going to be the biggest issues moving forward. That's not a surprise to anyone. What do you take back to D.C. with you? Well, what I take back is just the need to be able to streamline some of these regulations. You know, we heard that from a lot of producers, the uh, time that it takes to work through all the, the paper, all through, through the process in order to get things done. Um, I think it's really important that, again, that we work together seamlessly as a state and as federal representatives to make sure that we can move quickly in response to a lot of these disasters and really meet the needs we have for Nebraska. It's Senator Deb Fisher from the Nebraska State Fair just finishing up a roundtable uh, we are joining you here on the Rural Radio Network for the 2019 Nebraska State Fair. I'm Shaley Peters. Time for us to take a look at uh, the markets here as they close down for a Friday before too long. Scott Foster in here with you. And we want to look at the markets overseas to start with. The Japanese Nikkei last night was down 83, or excuse me, up 83 points. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong up 131. Now, the FTSE in London was down 33, and the German DAX index was down 135 as they continue to worry, have some recession worries in Europe. Now, for the United States, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was is down at this point 465 points because of tweets from Trump about uh, China. The NASDAQ was down almost 200 points, is down almost 200 points, and the S&P down 57, and Bob Brogan is in here for more. Right. The the markets are kind of taking a dive after uh, President Trump said the U.S. companies are, quote, unquote, hereby ordered to find an alternative to doing business with China. 
following Beijing's latest tariff increase. And as Scott mentioned, the uh, Dow Industrials are down just a little bit. Technology companies, which have much to lose in the trade battle, fell the most. Apple dropped 4.3%. Elsewhere, Nebraska's highest court has rejected another attempt to derail the Keystone XL pipeline. The high court rejecting uh, that attempt uh, that could have forced the developer to reapply for state approval and delayed the $8 billion project yet again. The uh, Nebraska Supreme Court today upheld the decision of regulators who voted in 2017 to approve a route through the state. The court's decision removes one of the last major hurdles for the project, which has been mired in lawsuits and regulatory hearings since it was proposed in 2008. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell saying that uh, the trade wars have complicated the Fed's ability to set interest rate policies. Speaking to a gathering of central bankers in Wyoming, Powell pointed to increasing evidence of a global economic slowdown and suggested that uncertainty from the trade wars have contributed to it. Meanwhile, U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue announcing that the Gearing-Fort Laramie Goshen Irrigation Tunnel Collapse was caused by unusually high precipitation. The Risk Management Agency has determined that since the collapse happened due to a natural cause, it will be an insurable event for ag producers affected by the irrigation disruption. Sales of new homes tumbled 12.8% in July as higher prices and limited inventory sidelined would-be buyers. The Commerce Department says new homes sold at a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 635,000 units, down from a revised June rate of 728,000. That's a check of the business world, uh, the business reports that we have available to us. And I'm Bob Brogan. All right. Thanks a lot, Bob. Oil down uh, 3% right now to uh, $53.67 a barrel. The big gainers right now in the stocks in the Dow Jones. Intuit is up 3%. uh, Big losers right now among them in Hasbro and HP. So uh, those are a few things going on right now. In the business world, as Bob talked about, again, the NASDAQ uh, down 194 points, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down right now at 462 points. It's time for the next big edition of Big Iron Realty's Fridays in the Field. We're back out in Sydney visiting with Tyson Nargis on his dryland corn crop. He says a lot of the dryland corn in the southern panhandle looks to be doing well. Widespread rains have really helped out uh, most of the crop. Uh, on our farm, we've got uh, quite a few acres of dryland corn that we actually decided to have a custom applicator put some more extra fertilizer on. And uh, most of the rains uh, have came north of town. Here directly south of town, we've kind of missed out a little bit. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see if that fertilizer has any effect. Um, but where we are getting rains, uh, you're really seeing uh, pollination went very, very well. Ears are filling out. And I hate uh, doing too many early counts on kernels, but uh, it looks like uh, the yield potential is going to be very, very high for the area. Nargis says a lot of the dryland corn was planted late. He adds that an early frost, such as before October 1st, could see some yield loss. 
you're really going to see some test weights on some Bradland corn really uh, struggle. Uh, a lot of the early planted corn, kind of like the corn that's here behind me, uh, it did pollinate and uh, it tasseled and pollinated on time. And I'm not seeing that we're going to have much issue with this uh, shorter day varieties. Uh, but those that push the day lengths and also got it in late are uh, really going to be hoping for a late frost. So if we start looking like a couple years ago, we had a frost the middle of September and that really hurt some low-lying areas and test weights really showed uh, to be down. So I'm hoping that doesn't happen this year. Of course, as the corn is still maturing in the fields, Nargis's wheat crop finished up harvest the first week of August. It was a very long drug out harvest, uh, humid mornings, foggy mornings, rain showers in the afternoons made it for a very long harvest. And uh, looking back in my history here on the farm, it's been one of the longest, most drug out harvests we've had to deal with. Even with the challenges of getting in the fields to harvest, Nargis says they have had good yields. The only thing that kept it from being excellent, uh, the hail that we did receive late May, early June on some acres uh, really hurt the yield. We thought it uh, popped back out of the hailstorms uh, fairly well, uh, but it proved to be pretty difficult for that plant to, to come back to what we expected the yields to be. So barring the acres that had hail, uh, the wheat yields were very, very good. And according to management practices, anywhere from 40 to I even heard some up to 100 bushel uh, per acre. So the yields were very good, quality, test rates were good. We did have a mid-harvest rainstorm, uh, especially north of Sydney, that uh, really pushed test weights down, uh, but was still somewhat acceptable. Other than that, protein levels were very, very low, and, and the quality was just uh, kind of on the low side, kind of exactly what we expected. Nargis has another crop, which is getting close to harvest, in 10 days to two weeks, and that's Proso Millet. He says millet is a short-season crop, which they usually get to before they seed the wheat, but this year it's also a bit late. The millet's doing pretty well. Uh, there's been some challenges again this year with millet. The moisture that we've received, which is above average, uh, everything else is wanting to compete with it early. So uh, we had some fields that we are struggling with uh, that uh, early on we sprayed it uh, about a week prior to seeding and the grasses had came up uh, with the millet and it's really competing really hard. Uh, so where weed management and grass management uh, is has been put in place that's been successful, millet looks very, very good. Uh, however, uh, some places where chemical programs failed or timing wasn't quite right. The, the weeds and grasses are really competing hard, so uh, the millet yields look to be pretty good. Nargis says millet is a resilient crop. It doesn't need a lot of input and needs very little moisture. In fact, the biggest challenge is antelope, which like to eat the millet in its immature stage. I'm Chabella Guzman, and this is Big Iron Realty's Friday in the Fields. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, joined with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. And John, let's talk about a positive market today, and that is the wheat market. Chicago helping pull up Kansas City. Is this due to that lower U.S. dollar? Oh, boy, I don't know. The wheat trade's crazy right now. You know, you see the surge in the last five minutes. Chicago rallied from 469 up to 475, almost 476, within about four minutes just on the close. That pulled KC off $4.00. Both of the KC and the Minneapolis are really oversold. I mean, record short um, with, you know, delivery for basis contracts essentially over the next week. I think we'll set a low here if we haven't already. Uh, it's a good sign for corn. I think corn's got legs here. Um, you know, 364 to 360, there's just some long-term monthly stuff there. That if you look at technicals, you really like to buy. Um, again, we got to get through delivery, though, and then the, the – 
the crop tour gives me a little more confidence. Not that we're going to see some big yield reduction that's going to bring us back up to 2430, but I do think we're going to see some sort of reduction just given that uh, essentially every state was below where they were a year ago. Um, I think maybe Nebraska was above. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's what I recall here, and especially out east where we're drastically worse than we were a year ago and really well below where the USDA is. So I think... Um, from where we see, we'll probably see the USDA bring yields down in the next one, maybe down to 167, 166. And that's, you know, that'll bring about 400, 400 million maybe back down uh, off the, the balance sheet, which is, will get us below one, uh, two billion, and, and prices can then resume their rally, or at least their sideways trade here uh, as we set up for the harvest or whatever can possibly happen here. Um, trade, obviously, the big issue, but I, I mean, it'd be like me throwing a tariff of 25% tariff on you clay you don't buy anything from me though so you know any tariff i put on you is really going to be negligible to to what we're doing uh as far as business together and i think that's the way you got to look at it here uh from a pork standpoint it maybe matters from a soybean standpoint it certainly matters but from a corn wheat sorghum they haven't bought anything from us in a long time so you know they can tariff it up to 100 percent. i don't think it's going to change the way we're moving product so more of a knee-jerk type reaction is this more a hold out and wait see if we can actually put those lows in I do. I think you got to hold here. If you're long the paper, especially December, I wouldn't get out here. But if you got if you got bushels to sell, I would clear them. I know that's probably not what folks want to hear, but the cost of carry here is going to go up. Uh, I've been saying this for guys with weed. It's just find a way to re-own them. There's there's some other ways to play them. You know, maybe get sophisticated in an option strategy where you don't have to outlay a bunch of premium, take some downside risk on the board. But at the bottom line is it's it it just is a it's a it's a trade where the basis is probably going to get worse here as we start to cut the corn if nothing changes. So um, here on Friday, I'm pretty bearish, but that can change next week. John Payne, Senior Market Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing. More at danielzagmarketing.com. That'll do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts on krvn.com.